0: In the United States, the COVID-19 health crisis has disproportionately affected African Americans, who are not only falling ill, but are also losing their jobs at alarming rates. Racial injustice came to the forefront of conversation with the recent killing of black American George Floyd, which prompted millions of people to raise their voice against systemic racism and police brutality. Continuing our discussion about new activism, this week we're sharing a couple of candid conversations with April Rain, the creator of the hashtag OscarSoWhite, who is currently working as a diversity inclusion advisor. We discuss race, politics, and culture, and the effective use of social media.
1: I wanna lift up not just George Floyd, but also Ahmaud Arbery and Brianna Taylor. So they are three Black people who have been killed in the prime of their life since we last spoke. Brianna Taylor was sleeping in her bed when the cops burst into her apartment with a no-knock warrant and shot her dead in her bed. They were not looking for her. She was not a suspect in any crime. And just recently, they've announced that her case is going to be reopened because initially there were going to be no charges. Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia was jogging down the street, minding his business. And if there was ever an example of a modern day lynching, two white men got into their pickup truck with their guns, chased him down and shot him. He was not committing a crime. He, you know, he belonged in that neighborhood. And there was no reason for his death. So there have been two deaths at the hands of state-sanctioned violence and one just modern-day vigilantes. And so... You know, I, I am of a certain age that I remember the beating of Rodney King in 1992. You know, I was a young woman there, and I was about 22 then. You know, I remember the beating. I remember the protests. I remember the not guilty verdicts. This feels different. The protests that we have seen feel different than what I recall from almost 30 years ago. And it remains to be seen what will come of the protests, and the involvement of law enforcement and other government officials in a way that I don't think that we've seen in the recent past.
0: On May 28, 2020, only three days after George Floyd died in police custody, the hashtag Black Lives Matter was used 8.8 million times, according to Pew Research. There is no doubt that hashtag has facilitated and fueled the conversation around racial injustice in the U.S. The following week, when the hashtag Blackout Tuesday started trending, its purpose was much less clear.
1: I think that Blackout Tuesday was not as successful as it could have been because it was not organized. I still am not sure who started Blackout Tuesday. There was supposed to be a campaign called The Show Must Be Paused, Started by two black female music executives to have the music industry grapple with how it does and does not support black artists. I'm not sure that the rollout of that was as effective as it could have been. And then somebody decided that Blackout Tuesday should happen, which ended up silencing a lot of black folks and allies who were attempting to disseminate information about protests and, and the Black Lives Matter movement. And then the Black Lives Matter hashtag was also co-opted, and which has been used since the death of Trayvon Martin, again, to disseminate information. But I think most people had good intentions, but the rollout was not as strong as it could be. And, and that just speaks to the importance of being knowledgeable about social media campaigns, how you're rolling them out, who you're sharing them with, who you have amplifying them, and what your goals are.
0: Welcome to PR Future, the podcast that delivers interesting insights into the dynamic world of public relations. Our first few episodes address the findings of our Global Communications Report and take a deep dive into new activism to better understand how activists are using PR tools to deliver powerful messages and create long-lasting change. This week's guest is April Rain, who gained national attention when she created the hashtag OscarSoWhite back in 2015. She challenged and still continues to challenge the lack of representation in the film industry. We'll discuss diversity in Hollywood, opportunities for collaboration, and the current political climate. I'm Fred Cook from the USC Annenberg Center for Public Relations, and this is PR Future. A study by USC Annenberg exploring inequality in the film industry reveals that between 2007 and 2017, 70% of the top films featured white actors, and more than 90% of film directors were male. This alarming pattern wasn't really discussed on a prominent scale until 2015 when the Academy awarded all 20 acting nominations to white actors. As she watched the Oscars from her home, attorney April Rain grabbed her phone and tweeted a single hashtag that would change the conversation around diversity and inclusion in Hollywood forever.
1: I was getting ready for work that fateful morning in January, and the Oscar nominations were being broadcast on one of the morning television shows on one of the networks. And Chris Hemsworth, who plays Thor in the Avengers series, was one of the presenters of the nominations that year. And so I thought, well, hey, you know, it's Thor in a suit. I need to have him in HD on the biggest TV in our house. So I was half dressed in my family room that fateful morning uh, and you know, listening to the nominees as he read them off. And it just struck me that category after category, best actor, best actress, best supporting actor, best supporting actress, there were no people of color nominated in 2015 for the films that came out in 2014. And as you recall, you know, this was the year of Selma, this was the year of Belle. It is not as if there were not fantastic performances by marginalized people. So I took to my phone and got on Twitter, which is where I am, you know, 23 and a half hours of every day, it seems like. And I tweeted one thing, Oscar's so white, they asked to touch my hair. And that was it.
0: Just a few hours after April tweeted, hashtag so white, she realized her words had gone way further than she had ever imagined.
1: I was then late from work, (laughs) so, you know, again, still practicing attorney. So I finished getting dressed, got in the car. um, And then when I checked in on Twitter around lunchtime, the hashtag based on that one tweet was trending internationally. And Twitter tells me that between that day in January and the actual Oscars telecast about six weeks later, the hashtag OscarsSoWhite was used around the world over 600,000 times based on that one tweet but that wasn't all you know so so the oscars came and went in 2015. in 2016 uh, it happened a second time. there were no people of color nominated for any of the acting categories and so I think that that is actually when Oscar So White truly took off. One year later, and as you know, hashtags come and go every day, every hour. So the fact that it was re-trending again around the world for the second time a year later was pretty significant. And I think p- people realize, you know, when one time is a fluke, uh, but two times is a pattern. And so maybe we need to figure out what this lady is talking about about the lack of traditionally underrepresented folks in the entertainment industry, and in. In fact, it was in 2016 that the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences, the folks who run the Oscars, committed to doubling the number of people of color and doubling the number of women within their membership ranks by this year, by 2020.
0: So how did this phenomenon with Oscars so white change your life?
1: My life has changed a thousand percent since I created Oscar So White in January of 2015. At that time, I was still a practicing attorney and I was practicing campaign finance law. So there was no connection whatsoever to the entertainment industry. And so since then, in the last five years, I have literally traveled the world talking about issues of diversity and inclusion. I have met amazing people who are champions in the space in addition to entertainers and public figures and celebrities and and folks who really want to make a difference. And I've just had an amazing number of opportunities to talk about the issues of traditionally underrepresented folks in the entertainment industry and see some highlights along the way.
0: Our survey pointed out that Social media is a very powerful tool for activists, for people with a message, and you chose Twitter. Do you think that the same thing would have happened on Facebook, Instagram, another platform?
1: I think each social media platform does different things well. You know, Instagram is a visual platform. This was not a visual issue. You know, I can I can put up a picture of twenty white faces to say, well, you know, here here are the nominees, you know, what's wrong with this picture? Why aren't there any people of color? But you can't really have a back and forth conversation and really discuss those issues on Instagram, or at least I can't, the way that I can on Twitter. On Facebook, you know, people have to request to join your page and become your friend, and so you know, there, there's there's, There's a lot more specificity with respect to who it is that you're talking to. You know, everybody's got the Facebook with, you know, all of their high school friends and that kind of thing. But I truly wanted to talk to people around the world and Twitter allowed me to do that in a much more effective way than I think any other social media platform would have.
0: For April, Black Twitter was an influential network of Twitter users that helped her raise her voice against the lack of representation and recognition of people of color in the film industry. But her message was always meant to go beyond race. It was about the need to create opportunity for those who have been traditionally marginalized.
1: So I am sure that having, you know, my place in Black Twitter and being able to have this conversation specifically about black actors and actresses and people working behind the camera was helpful in this situation. But, you know, I want to be very clear. Oscar So White was not just a binary black versus white issue. It is about all traditionally underrepresented people. So that means race, gender, sexual orientation, disability, Age, geography, you know, as I just mentioned to you all, you know, I don't think that, you know, talent is geographically specific. So the next Scarlett Johansson or Viola Davis may be living in Kentucky. Right. And she may not be able to afford to get to L.A. or New York or know how to hire an agent. But that doesn't mean that she shouldn't have an opportunity just like those people who are able to live in bigger cities.
0: And we talked about that same aspect a second ago when we were talking about activists and how today everyday citizens can become powerful voices in the world. Why do you think that suddenly average citizens have the power in their hands the way NGOs and politicians used to? What's changed?
1: I think it's the advent of social media that it allows everyone to speak about issues that concern them that that interest them social media levels the playing field so that you don't necessarily have to have a whole bunch of money so that you can put ads on TV or in newspapers or in magazines to get your point across you can literally reach millions of people you know from the comfort of your couch (laughs) you know on your cell phone and so now everyday people like you and me are able to have those really important conversations. They can reach, you know, those politicians and celebrities and whomever they want to, but they can stand on their own two feet and bring light to address issues that affect them.
0: Now, besides social media, you use other platforms to tell your story. You're a speaker and a writer. How do those fit into your overall campaign, if I may put it like that?
1: It's important when you're attempting to lead a charge on a particular issue or a movement or a campaign or however you want to title it, that you meet the people where they are, which means you need to be online and offline. Social media is fantastic. There is no way that I could have had the success of Oscar So White without social media. But I was also talking to you know the Academy membership. And what we know is that the vast majority of the membership even now are older white men in their late fifties and early sixties, and without stereotyping anybody, they may not be on Twitter, you know, <laughs> but you know they may be reading Variety magazine, or they may be watching, you know, one of the networks, E or you know, CBS or CNN or what have you. And so I needed to take the message as far and wide as I could, and and I definitely recommend that for everyone who is attempting this type of campaign or movement. I also want wanted to ensure that there was as little misunderstanding about what I was trying to say and do. Uh, and so I knew that meant that I needed to do interviews, but I also needed to write. You know, I needed, to, I needed a first-person account of, this is what Oscar Saway is, this is what it is not, this is what the goals are, and here's how you can help.
0: And after five years of advocating for more diversity in the film industry, how would you describe your relationship with the Academy?
1: Non-existent, you know, I did attend the, the Oscars last year in 2019, but to this day now, five years, going on year six of Oscars So White, the Academy has never reached out to me to have conversations about inclusion and representation of traditionally underrepresented folks in front of and behind the camera.
0: Our most recent global communication report shows that diversity and inclusion is a top priority for corporate communications professionals in the United States. However, 58% of them say they rarely or never involve activist groups when creating a new policy or initiative. April believes that this reluctance to collaborate with activist groups is rooted in a fear of change.
1: You know, D&I, diversity and inclusion are, have been the hot words, you know, for the last couple of years now. But when you really get down the brass tacks and look at what corporations, organizations, networks, studios are actually doing, they are all found lacking. You know, so I have these conversations typically after I have signed a very stringent NDA, <laughs> non-disclosure agreements, but I have the conversations about well, you know, you say you're interested, you know, you've hired a chief diversity officer or whatever the case may be but what is your plan? You know, uh, you know, I get called into casting agencies, you know, they're oh, well, absolutely, we get it, we need more actresses of color and we need more disabled actors and so on and so forth. And I say to them, where are you going to find them? You know, because as I walk through your halls to get to this beautiful conference room, you know, the people sitting at the desks and in the offices are not diverse. And so what network are you going to use now? to find those traditionally underrepresented folks when you have not been able to do so for as long as you've been in business, you know? So it's not just the face, you know, literally sometimes that you're putting on a product or in front of a camera, whatever the case may be. It's also the recruitment and retention of qualified individuals from diverse backgrounds that are working behind the scenes. And I think that's why, you know, that people don't like to speak to advocates and activists on these issues because we will call them to task. I mean, that's kind of our job and people don't want to have to deal with their own reflections.
0: There is a huge opportunity for collaboration between PR professionals and activist groups. According to our study, 64% of communicators who do actually engage with activists report that their companies benefit from these partnerships. And no one understands these benefits better than April Rain the data
1: shows is that the more diverse something is, whether it's a company or a film or a project, the more diverse something is, the better it does, the better it sells, the better it is received and so on, because you are able to market to a broader community. And so those companies, organizations, networks, studios, and so on, who are not fully committed to issues of inclusion and representation are literally leaving money on the table at this point. So when I walk in and say, "Okay, you know, what are your goals and what are you willing to do to reach them? You know, sometimes people are taken aback because they've never been talked to in such a direct manner. But I I hope that's not seen as threatening because as you say, my goal is to help. You know, it, it helps me when organizations are more diverse and inclusive because that means that there are more products that are going to be of interest to my family. That means that, you know, my community and other people's communities will have more options in the world. So why wouldn't you want to increase the demographic of people that you serve or sell to?
0: On August 15, 2019, April announced on Twitter that she would be partnering with Sephora as an equity advisor to help the company eliminate racial bias in retail and to create spaces where everyone would feel welcome. This partnership was part of Sephora's We Belong to Something Beautiful campaign, which supports the brand's commitment to diversity and inclusion.
1: Sephora so was very forward-thinking and saying, you know, we have issues within our stores, and we want to be both reactive to the issues that we're seeing and proactive, you know, in moving forward and ensuring that we are, you know, being in the forefront with respect to diversity and inclusion in the beauty industry. And so I work with them in ensuring that issues of inclusion and representation are front of mind. What does the staff look like in the stores? How are people, especially women and non-binary people of color, treated in their stores? What can be done to just make things a little bit easier with respect to the shopping experience? How many different shades of foundation Do you have, you know, it's one thing when, you know, you go into a store and you can't find the foundation or the lipstick that goes with your skin tone because a particular store is only targeted or marketing to a particular person and not being as open and inclusive as they can be. And so um, Sephora has been working behind the scenes and for everyone to see on these issues very strongly. and, And I'm proud to partner with them as an equity advisor.
0: And do you think that work makes Sephora a more relevant brand to today's consumer?
1: I do, because people are interested. People notice. You know, I was a marketing major in college, and so I'm I'm always checking out brands and ads and what they're doing right and wrong. And, you know, as you know, on social media, when brands get things wrong, it's immediate. <laughs> you know, the response from black Twitter and, and all of Twitter can have a particular ad taken down. You know, if you recall a few years ago, Pepsi had an ad with one of the Jenner Kardashian girls. And, you know, the gist that I got from the commercial, I'm sure it's not what they meant, but the gist was that, you know, all she had to do was take a sip of soda and she was going to solve racism. You know, and she's high fiving cops. And, you know, and we were in the midst of, you know, one of the worst times ever with respect to state sanctioned violence against black folks. And so it it was a poorly timed and it was just horribly done, you know? And so I think consumers are becoming much more savvy about the brands that they support and that they don't based on how those brands move with respect to inclusion and representation.
0: According to our survey, both activists and communicators around the globe agree that the declining trust in our political institutions and the lack of government action are the driving forces behind the growth of activism. Events like the one we witnessed in Washington, D.C. on June 1st, when riot police attacked peaceful protesters to facilitate a self-serving photo op, will continue to erode Americans' faith in Washington. When we discussed how activism can improve the current situation, April focused on two factors, holding elected officials accountable through voting and encouraging companies to make changes in the way they operate.
1: I I don't have a lot to say about the man currently in the White House. You know, I I think he gets it wrong every single time. And I think that he fomented violence against American citizens with both his press conferences and his tweets. And I wish that we had a stronger Congress, you know, Congress people and senators to remove him from office, but we don't. And so it is incumbent upon us as American citizens to vote him out in November, because I, to be very frank, I am not sure that this country can, can sustain another four years of him being in power. With respect to the brands and organizations, you know, at, at this point, A lot of it feels like window dressing. Probably the biggest inflection point of the last five to 10 years before this was Trayvon Martin, who was gunned down by a vigilante in Florida, you know, but there have been so many names since him, Michael Brown and Philando Castile and Tatiana Jefferson, Eric Garner. And and so where were these corporations then? right we we have to ask what is it that is different up, that they are finally stepping up and we appreciate that but actions speak louder than words and so it's imperative that the brands and the organizations that want to stand in solidarity do so not just with their statements but also with their bottom lines their financial statements so i am encouraged by those organizations brands and corporations who are donating money to anti-racist organizations, to pro-Black and Brown causes. But, you know, change has to start from within. And so if you're a multi-billion dollar company and you're throwing money at, a, at an issue, but your C-suite <laughs> is as white as the Oscar membership, you know, that tie everything together. If, you know, if you don't have a blind resume policy, if you don't have retention and recruitment policy specifically for marginalized people, then nothing is going to change within your organization. And so I think that consumers, are right to look upon these statements with a significant amount of skepticism.
0: Given that situation, would you advise a company, if they don't have their ducks in a row with diversity, not to say anything?
1: You know, I believe that silence is complicity. Silence can be violence. Silence can be death. But if you are not in a place where you can show that you are ready to do better, and make substantial systemic change within your organization, then you should probably sit this one out and, you know, and hire you know, a D&I advocate or something so that you are in a better place. You know? And so maybe next Black History Month, when again, all the organizations come out and start you know, you know, standing with people, that, that they will be in a better place.
0: When you're looking and analyzing people's approach to this and what they're saying through statements, Who has impressed you with their approach or their their language or their actions?
1: Ben and Jerry's, they are at the top of my list. To their credit, Ben and Jerry's has been talking about issues of white supremacy for years. They have said Black Lives Matter years ago. And so their statement this year was, this time around, was, was very strong and it felt authentic. You know, and, and I know that we talked before, authenticity is the thing over anything else because consumers can cut through the chatter at this point. You know, I think people are becoming more and more savvy than they ever have been before. And so they, they notice those distinctions.
0: And do you think their authenticity comes from the fact that they have a history with this cause and they're just not jumping in for the first time?
1: So Absolutely. At some point, you need to have a track record. And if you are new, and again, you know, I, I believe in meeting people where they are, if you're coming into this for in the first time and saying, okay, I got it, let's do something, you know, then it has to be a strong first statement, you need to come out of the blocks, you know, like Usain Bolt, you know, ready, ready to run. But at the same time, it is a marathon, not a sprint. Right. And so it can't just be this particular time. It has to be what are you doing year round to help marginalized people? This is Pride Month now. And, and that's sort of gotten overshadowed by everything that else that is going on. But every June, we see all kinds of corporations changing their avatars to little rainbow flags and so on and thinking that that's enough when the other 11 months of the year they are not standing with the lgbt plus community i truly believe just like with oscar so white that there needs to be pressure on the outside and the inside and sometimes those on the inside need to be able to point to the outside and say hey you know i'm okay with the way things are here but i've got a whole bunch of people coming in on me and so maybe you know it's not just me asking for this it's people who are going to be directly impacted and so maybe we need to step up and make a change.
0: Over the past five years, April has devoted her life to activism. And in the future, she hopes to continue to follow that passion.
1: If you had asked me five years ago, Whether I would not be a practicing attorney and, you know, on first name basis with Ava DuVernay and, you know, and those kind of things, I could not have predicted any of that. You know, I know that there is still a whole bunch more work that needs to be done with respect to issues of diversity and inclusion and representation in the entertainment industry. And so I will continue to do that.
0: Well, based on what you've told us for this past hour, I am totally confident it's going to continue on a positive trajectory because you have the energy And the passion and the commitment that I think would make you successful at anything you tried to do. And what you're trying to do is so important that I think more and more people are going to join forces with you in the future.
1: I hope so. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. You know, it's it's easier when you are doing something that you love. You know, when when I was a practicing attorney, it was a safe job, it was a lucrative job. The type of work that I was doing was not particularly high stress, but it was sucking the life force out of me (laughs) every single day. Um, And so now, you know, my future is a bit more amorphous. But I am so much happier now. This was my midlife career change. You know? And so you know, when I talk to students at colleges and universities around the country, I tell them, you know, figure out what your passion is now. You know, figure out how to make your avocation, your vocation now. Don't wait until your kids are you know, in college before you, know, you make these substantive changes because you do your best work when you are invested in the result. And so if you, know, if you can be passionate about a particular issue, or you know, if you're passionate about accounting, then fantastic, be the best accountant ever. You know, it doesn't have to be some lofty goal of changing a little piece of the world, but figure out what that thing is that you love and go after that, regardless of whether your parents think that you should have, or, you know, or your counselor thinks you should have, because they're not gonna be the ones with you in the evenings you know, as you're kicking your shoes off coming home and asking yourself, you know, why did you do the thing that you did? I'm all for finding joy, you know, and, and I think that it's possible to find it both personally and professionally, and so I encourage everyone to attempt to find their joy as often as they can.
0: Black Lives Matter, Oscar So White, and other hashtags reflect how social media, specifically Twitter, has become an important platform to build powerful networks of dissent and promote a more inclusive society. As April points out, these new digital forms of protest must be rooted in a true desire to create long-lasting change, just the way she has. To learn more about April's work, you can follow her on, of course, Twitter, at Rain of April. Thank you for tuning in to PR Future a progressive podcast from USC Annenberg, created for PR professionals by PR professionals. To learn more, tap the link in show notes to download your copy of the Global Communications Report. And please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode was produced by Ron Antoinette, Zazu Lippert, and Manuelita Maldonado. I'm your host, Fred Cook, And this is PR Future.